Hey, welcome again, everybody, to New Anthem Church. I'm glad you're here. If you're a guest with us, thanks for coming. You picked a great weekend to come to church because we're starting a brand new series of talks today called Creature of Habit. Super stoked about it because I feel like on a practical level, this might be the most important message series I ever do, Creature of Habit. I have a mountain of research pretty much proving that the most powerful force in your life right now is your habits. And if you're like me, when I dove into all the research and started preparing it, I realized that I had a habit that I didn't even know were actual habits. So whether you're able to articulate this or not, we all, each one of us here this morning, are a creature of habit. I titled my message this morning, Do You Want to Build a Snowball? Which is different than a snowman, although you can still ride your bike around the hall and got some company that's overdue. I started talking to picture. Nobody's with me on that. Okay. <laughs> Moving right along. My kids were in a huge frozen phase, which is where that come from. There was a point in my life when the DVD was on loop in the house. And then uh, when we got into the vehicle, the soundtrack was on repeat. It was a, it was a nightmare to be quite honest. In fact, uh, in a, what can only be described as a parenting debacle, we got Lana a microphone that sang, let it go. And we'd hear that. Uh, at some point, I took the microphone's advice and let it go directly in the trash. You know what I'm talking about? It's just I couldn't deal with that anymore. We're on a Moana kick right now, so we'll see where that takes us. But uh, that being said, I want to introduce you to the idea of snowballs as we set up this series on habits because snowballs have a unique parallel to our lives. Now, maybe I need to back up because if you lived in Kansas the last few years, you don't even know what snow is. Lord, help us. It uh, might be necessary for me to describe how there used to be this white, fluffy stuff that would fall from the sky. And if it was wet enough, you could compact it into balls and form monuments to uh, mark the occasion of the snow. But I can remember uh, as a kid picking up a handful of snow and, and forming a ball and setting it on the ground and rolling it. And gradually you would add more snow on each subsequent roll and the ball got bigger and bigger and then you had a good base for a snowman. You could build the, the middle section and the top and you'd add the, you know, the, the stocking hat and the carrot and, and whatever you decide to put on the snowman. But the point is, uh, as you add snow to the surface area of a snowball, it allows you to add more snow because there's, there's more area for the snow to stick to. So with every roll, you got more and more snow. A, a little ball turned into a huge snowball. It's compounded uh, with every single roll. The same thing is true in your life. As you add some things uh, to, to, to your life, those small things eventually turn into really big things. Your future is just a combination of all the little things that you've added along the way, and it, and it eventually forms into something. Just to put this idea of compound interest into perspective. If I asked you right now, 
Would you rather have a million dollars today? Would you rather, like, if I could write that check to you, which I cannot, but if I could, I would write it to myself first, and then I would write it to you. If I could write that check for a million dollars today, would you rather have that or a penny doubled every day for 30 days? The, the vast majority of people, it's been shown, would choose the million dollars today. Because uh, how much can a penny a day doubled, you know, for 30 days, how much can that really add up to? Well, it's actually over $5 million. Uh, I've got it here on screen. So you can see day one, you're at a penny, you double it, you double it, you double it. By day 21, you're at over $10,000. And in just nine days, you go from $10,000 to over $5 million. That's the power of compound interest. You can see the compounding effect. The, the small things uh, added up over time turn into really big things, even in a short amount of time. The same thing's true with a snowball. Same thing is true with your life. As you add good things, a few small things, eventually they turn into really great things. The problem is... When it comes to our daily lives, we don't always know if the little things we're adding are good or if they're bad. It's frequently hard to tell if the decision we're making right now is going to impact us for our benefit in the future. We, we wonder, you know, what, what does my tomorrow look like based on what I'm deciding today? It's why I tell people to be careful with their choices. Because your choices will lead you to your destiny. If you're not happy with where you're at, then you need to start making different choices. Because your choices become your destiny. Looking at the money chart, again, the same outcome is achieved if you would take away a penny a day doubled every single day. The problem is now you're not up $5 million. Now you're in the hole $5 million. Maybe some of you feel like that today. That's how you came in. You're like, man, I'm a nightmare. I'm in the hole. I can't get anything right. My life is falling apart. And that's okay. I've got some good news for you. It's why I want to talk to you about habits, because the whole truth is your choices eventually turn into habits, which eventually will lead to your destiny. In other words, I'm preaching this message for you 10 years from now. Like I've dialed up the blender in the, in the DeLorean and me and Doc are waiting for you uh, with the hoverboards and the sports almanac and it's all there and, and we want to see you in the future have a better life. You might not see re- these results of what we're talking about today for a little while, but the future you will. And it's a big deal when you start to think about it. That's why I said this might be the most important message series from a practical perspective that I ever do. Because the Bible clearly states that you're going to reap what you sow. My mom likes to remind me that all the time. When my kids start acting a fool, she's like, well, you reap what you sow. You were like that too once. I'm like, thanks, mom. Not helpful. You just grab that kid. I'll get these two. Let's get out of here because this is a nightmare. I don't need to know what the Bible says at this point. I I know what it says. Uh, But it might be time to start sowing some new seeds. You know, you can't unsow what you've sown, but you can throw down some weed killer. Amen, somebody? You can start sowing some new seeds, and that's what I want to help you with today. 
My goal over these next three weeks together is that you can learn what habits are currently driving your life and you can identify whether those habits are taking you to the destination that you want to go. And if they're not, you can learn how to change them so that you can re-engineer your life to get to the place that you feel like God is leading you. You know, I'm, I like to say I'm not where I uh, want to be, but praise God, I'm not where I used to be. You know what I'm saying? So we got to work on some things in order to get us to the place that, that you want to go and God wants you to go. So if you can commit to being here these next three weeks, I can promise you that you will at minimum have the information that can change your life. It will be up to you if you decide to do something with it, but I can guarantee you, you will have the tools in your toolbox to build a snowball that you can push up the proverbial hill of life. And when you get to the top, you can let it go and uh, the snowball will build and build and build and you'll reap the benefits of all that work you put in on the front end. Uh, what's, what's sad is most people push that uh, snowball partway up the hill and just when they're about to hit the tipping point, they give up and uh, they don't reap the benefits and, and end up in the destination that God wants them. Now, how can I be so audacious as to say, I guarantee you, you will have the tools uh, in order to change your life and the information you will need. Well, aside from having the very Word of God right here, which I understand uh, some of you don't trust, and so we'll get to that in just a second, there's a, a pile of research that proves my point. The uh, uh, Duke University did a study about how to win basketball games, and they're doing a good job. No, that's not true. Uh, Duke University did a study that showed over 40% of your uh, decisions in a day weren't actual cognitive decisions that you thought up. Rather, they were habits. And as you can see there in your notes, a habit is defined as an automatic reaction to a specific situation. And so the researchers at Duke discovered that almost half of your day is comprised of automatic responses with no real input from your brain. Nearly 50% of your day, you're not thinking, you're just reacting. So catch this. If we can make sure the habits that we have in our life are taking us to the place God wants us to go, and if they're not, we can re-engineer them, then our destinies will always, and our purpose, it will always be within focus. You'll always be able to see it on the horizon. We might not see daily results, which can be discouraging. I get that. But we'll always know we're on the right path. We're always know we're going the direction we need to be going. Which, how freeing would that be? You know, to not wonder if I'm going the right way, to not question, is this my purpose to not be burdened if I'm wondering if I'm doing the right thing? You know, it pretty much eliminates such a thing as a midlife crisis. You know, please go buy the Corvette, just let me drive it. You know what I'm saying? Like, get the... Get the Harley. I'm cool with that. Just let me have a ride. Uh, but it would eliminate all the other baggage that goes on with the midlife crisis. You won't look back at your life and go, was it worth it? Because you'll know you're on the right side of the line. And that's really what's on, on the hook for us today is to say, can we get to the place where we look at our life and say, I'm, I know I'm doing the right thing. 
That's what's, that's what's at stake for you this morning. So I'm glad you're here. Jot this down if you're taking notes. Habits are the mechanism that take us to our mission. Habits are the mechanism that take us to our mission. I believe habits are designed by God to help us accomplish the purposes that He's set out for us. You might be interested to know that habits emerge because the brain is constantly looking for ways to save effort. An efficient brain requires less room, it burns less calories, it needs less energy. It's quite remarkable when you think about it. Like the fact that you're breathing right now and you're not having to tell your lungs to take in oxygen and you know, to transfer the carbon dioxide to O2. The, the fact that you're not having to think about that. The fact that you're not having to tell your heart to pump the gallons of blood that it pumps every single day. It just happens. You say, well, pastor, that's not a habit. It's just instinct. You know, that's the way our bodies work. Okay, well, scientists have proven that your brain stops working in what you would traditionally call a habit. So biting your nails, uh, smoking a cigarette, going out to eat at the same place every single day, uh, you would call those habits. Well, scientists have shown that your brain shuts off and it's not functioning the way you actually think it is. They first noticed this in rats. And so scientists set up this, uh, hooked up rats to these little, you know, brain, uh, Things I don't. I'm not. You know, I'm not a brain guy. So they did it. They put. Uh, they put the. They put the rats in a in a maze, and the maze was just in a T shape. And so they would analyze what was happening with the rat's brain as they, you know, uh, opened up the gate and let the rats start running through. And in the beginning, rats didn't hardly move. The brain was working in full force. They were sniffing. They were uh, trying to figure out where they needed to go. They were wondering if a cat's going to jump out and kill them. You know what I'm saying? Like, they didn't know what to do. And they slowly, slowly, slowly made it down this maze. And if the rats would turn right, nothing would happen. They would keep spinning around in a circle. But if the rat went left, they would find chocolate. Rats and human beings are not uh, that different. We love, you know, we love chocolate. So, you know, thank God for that. Well, the, the first time, the, uh, the first few times rats would go through this maze, their brain power was working in full force. But the more times they went through the maze and they figured out that all they had to do was turn left, the, the less and less their brain would, would work. It would work in full force at the beginning, and then it would work full force in the end, but it would shut off in the middle. And what the scientists uh, realized is all the rats had to do was recall the quickest route to the chocolate. That required very little brain power. It became a habit. And they could just go and turn left. Scientists have subsequently shown the exact same things happen with you on your drive home from work. Think about it. Do you actually think about every turn? How you have to speed up? How you have to slow down? How you have to turn on your blinker? No. You just get home, and if you think about it, you're like, how did I even get here? Nobody knows. It's because it's a habit. Because you've done it the same way over and over and over, and your brain's power literally shuts off as you're making that drive home. Why? Again, because it's a habit, you've done it so many times, but when that habit emerges, your brain stops fully participating in the decision-making so it can divert focus to other tasks, like eating breakfast on your way to work. Don't ever do that. 
I cannot tell you how many times I've almost been killed by people eating breakfast or putting on makeup, you know, as I was riding a bike or a motorcycle to work. It's, it's a nightmare. But that just proves my point. Habits are the mechanism that take us to our mission. More often than not, we're not cognitively thinking. We're just doing what's always been done. And like I said, the problem is our brain can't tell if it's a good habit or a bad habit. If your brain could tell you it was a bad habit, none of you would text and drive. None of you would eat breakfast on your way to work. If that hit too close to home, I don't apologize. You should stop doing it. Uh, Your job, your brain's job is to save energy. So unless you stop and analyze your day-to-day tasks, what you do and what you're thinking about, you won't ever understand if something has become a good habit or not. You might never know if something is vandalizing your day because you're not consciously thinking about it. Okay, jot this down. Your habits are either sabotaging you or they're sanctifying you. Only two outcomes that are possible. Your habits are either sabotaging your day or they're sanctifying your day. They're either breaking you down or they're building you up. They're either leading towards your holiness or your wickedness. There's no in-between. give you a couple of, of examples. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying these are good habits or bad habits. I'm just giving you some examples that I found some good research on. In uh, 2017, Netflix users logged over 1 billion hours of screen time. Okay, to put that in perspective, the number of Netflix accounts there are, that would average out to a little over two hours per day. So how'd that happen? How are we watching over two hours of Netflix every single day? Because every time I talk to somebody, it's like, hey, how are you doing? Busy, just super busy, you know, busier than a Mormon at a bike convention. You know, I just can't, can't keep up. I don't know if I can say that. I apologize if that offended you. Uh, but... Uh, filter was off. Uh, but everybody's so busy. So how did, we, how did we end up with two hours a day on Netflix? Habit. Because you get home from work, you eat your supper, you put the kids to bed, and you flip on the app. And like I said, your brain just shuts off. And so you don't even realize you're tracking that time because it's just become a habit. Another uh, different study I read showed that nearly 50% of Americans are overweight, yet only less than 5% of the uh, adults achieve what they would call ideal physical activity every day, which I I get. I understand it's hard to find time to exercise when you're watching so much Netflix uh, or busy eating. But how did that happen? Habit. It's a habit. You haven't developed a habit of developing a routine to work out all the time, or you eat at the same time every day, so your body craves that boost of sugar at the same time every day. You might be interested to know that sugar is more addictive than cocaine, so that's how it makes uh, such a bad habit and an addiction. Uh, Just bonus information here. The only state to have obesity levels go down last year was Kansas. Good job, Kansas, right? It's because we didn't have any snow. You could get out and walk all winter, so you just exercise all the time. Uh, But so, again, am I saying eating and Netflix are bad? No, I enjoy 
both. I'm saying the levels that people are consuming them, they're not drawing us closer to God. They're sabotaging us. I don't think you could argue from a point of credibility that we're getting healthier and more intelligent as a society and that those things are sanctifying you. Uh, what sanctifying is, you know, uh, just getting closer to Jesus. That's what sanctifying means. And God said His goal was to transform you into the image of Jesus. That's what God's goal for your life is. And so, and so to be sanctified means gradually getting uh, closer to that image of Jesus. So let's look at one of the ways a habit can sanctify you. Okay, this is where we're going to have to bring the Word of God in because this is very important. Um, and so you can see it on screen here. Luke 4.16. What's a habit that can sanctify you? It reads, And Jesus came to Nazareth, Nazareth where He had been brought up. And as was His custom. What's that? A habit. You could read that to say, and as was his habit, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now, I find that passage compelling because we don't know much about Jesus' life uh, before he was about age 30. And so different Gospels account, you know, the time that he was born, and there's the manger and the angels and the shepherds, and, you know, Rudolph led the wise men to Jesus. Uh, just seeing if you're paying attention, okay? That's just a joke. Uh, uh, but we get this miraculous birth, and then we don't see much of Jesus until about age 12. So what was he doing that whole time? Well, ironically, when he shows up at age 12, he's in, he's in a church. He's in the synagogue in the temple. And then from age 12 to about age 30, we don't get a whole lot about Jesus' life either. There's, there's not a, a text. It's only here when he shows up again, that we get to see what Jesus was doing. Well, we know one thing that he was doing. He was going to church. He was at the synagogue, as was his habit on the Sabbath day. It was his custom. So I just wonder, is church one of your customs? Statistically, no. Uh, Those who identify as regular church attenders only go to church 1.8 Sundays per month. So if somebody, you know, goes to church twice a month, they would consider themselves a regular attender. They would say, that's my habit. I go to church all the time. 1.8 Sundays a month. But I don't think we can call it a habit because when you drill into those numbers, it's not consistent. So if you were going twice a month and it was a habit, you'd say, well, second and fourth Sunday, those are my days. Or first and third Sunday, that's, those are the days I go to church. First and fourth, whatever it is, second and third. But that's not what actually happens. It's very sporadic when you, when you read the research. People are going whenever they feel like it, and now it's just to 1.8 Sundays a month. Now, hear me. I'm not saying going to church makes you a Christian any more than going to Chick-fil-A makes you a chicken sandwich. Okay, that's not the point of coming to church. And so I, you know, I, I don't want you to feel like I'm telling you you have to go to church because, you know, this is what people do and all of these things. No, I'm telling you that if you want a habit that's sanctifying you, as we see from Scripture, Jesus made this one of His habits. Your habits are either sabotaging your life or they're sanctifying your life. And it's my contention that going to church habitually will sanctify you because Jesus did it. 
And, and we want to follow after Jesus' uh, model for us. Um, before we move on from this, I think it would be helpful to point out how habits work. Okay, so scientists and researchers have developed what's called the habit loop. And so if you can think about this in any of the habits that are in your life, but you can put this in your notes if it's helpful to you. But there's a cue, Q-U-E, which leads to a routine, which leads to a reward. A cue, something happens. It leads to a routine. You do something in response to the cue. And the reason you do it over and over is because you're rewarded. What gets rewarded gets repeated. So you've got a cue, you've got a routine, you get a reward. It becomes a habit. For Jesus, the cue was the day of the week. Uh, Back then, they went to church on Saturday. That was their Sabbath. And so uh, as he was thinking, oh, it's Saturday. What's my routine? Oh, I go to church. That was, uh, he developed a habit. Cue, Saturday night. Routine, oh, I got to go to church. Reward, spiritual blessing, encouragement, getting closer to God. Where do you get that, Pastor? How do I know what the reward is going to church? Hebrews 10.25. It says, And let us not neglect meeting together, as is the... What's that word? Say it again. Habit of some... But let us encourage one another, especially now that the day of His return is drawing near. So you can see church might not be for you. It might be for you to encourage someone else. So your cue is Sunday. Oh, my routine is I need to go to church. My reward is either I'm getting encouragement or I'm giving encouragement. See, I always hesitate talking about this from a leadership perspective about how I want you to go to church because I feel like you think, oh, pastor, you're just saying that because you need a lot of people to come to your church. And that's not it at all. You're getting something out of this, I hope. That's why we developed the church is to be an encouragement to a lost, broken, dying world to help encourage them. Hey, there is more to life than what you're seeing out there. We do have hope. We do have good news. Um, So for you to think, well, uh, I don't know if I want to go to church today. I'm probably not going to get anything out of it. You might be right. You might not get something out of it. You might put something into it. You might encourage somebody. You have no idea who's walking in these doors every single week. I don't. You have no idea what they might need. You might be the tool God wants to use to encourage them to get through whatever it is they're going through in life. Amen, somebody. I could use some encouragement right now preaching to you about this. Your job might be to encourage. That could be the reward God wants to give you. Certainly, He's promised you spiritual blessing and all of these things. But again, you don't always get to see the benefit of those. But you can see the smile on somebody's face when you tell them good morning or when you serve in some capacity when you, you know, go help the production team or the children's ministry team. And, uh, so somebody can sit into service and hear about the good news of the gospel that Jesus came to save their life. And when they save their soul, you get to heaven, people showing up at your mansion that God has prepared for you saying, you don't know me, but that one Sunday at New Anthem that you came and you served and I was able to sit and hear the gospel message, God saved my soul. And I just want to say thank you for helping me get through 
Like that's what's at stake by you not coming to church. Write this down. The scope of your life is determined by the substance of your days. The scope of your life, what you want, it's determined by the substance that you put in your days. Look what happens because Jesus made church His habit. Luke 2.52 And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. That also seems like a pretty cool reward. Increasing in wisdom with, and in favor with God and with man. Let me ask you this question. Are you headed to a future that involves favor from both God and man? Are you increasing in wisdom because of the habits that you've developed in your life? Are you creating a future, the scope of your life, that you will enjoy? Or are you one step at a time walking in such a way that's creating a a future that involves the opposite of wisdom, stupidity, and that involves the opposite of uh, approval from God and man, which would be disapproval from both God and man. Because believe me, I've been there. I've been in the other camp and not happy with where my life was headed and wondering, God, is this really what my life needs to look like? Which is why I said, I believe uh, that you can't say this isn't the life I wanted when this is the life you've been living. Like you've got to make some different decisions. Definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. And so you've got to start making some different choices. But I also believe that you can change your path. I believe God's power can help you alter the direction of your life and get you to the place you want to go. You can turn around. I believe there's nothing you can't accomplish with God's help and getting the habits right. Come on, somebody. Like you can do it. You just got to get the habits right. You got to get the choices right. You got to have God's help in it. You can create some new habits. I'm going to tell you exactly how to do that in the coming weeks, how to create some new habits. You can also analyze and figure out if you have some bad habits and you can change those habits. I'm going to tell you exactly how to do that in two weeks. That's why I said you need to come back every single week because I promise you, you'll have the tools to change habits and develop new habits. Uh, it's encourage why encourage you to start thinking about you 10 years from now. Man, we get so uh, just pigeonholed and narrow-minded when we start thinking about our lives today and what today holds and what tomorrow holds. No, start thinking about you five years from now. There's a Chinese proverb that says, when's the best time to plant a tree? 10 years ago. When's the next best time to plant a tree? today. Like you need to do it today. The right time to do the right thing is right now. And I would encourage you that coming to church is one of the right things that you can do. We're going to talk about some of the other habits that you can develop also in the coming weeks, but it's not just coming to church. It's getting involved. It's creating an environment that other people can come and hear and, and listen to the good news of the gospel and change their life. It's creating a place that they can be encouraged and you can be encouraged. I don't know if you heard about the uh, shooting that took place 
a while back in Nashville, Tennessee at a Waffle House, but a young man who I don't feel like deserves to have his name mentioned by me decided to walk into a Waffle House and start shooting folks up, killing people. But in God's providence, there was a young man named James Shaw Jr., who was a 29-year-old father who, without any military training or any combat training, wrestled the gun from the killer and saved a number of innocent lives. I'm guessing you probably heard that part of the story. But the part you probably didn't hear about, and what I really want you to know, is that mere hours after the shooting, James Shaw Jr. went to church to be with his family and be with his friends and find encouragement. He was quoted as saying, I didn't skip church to be laid up because church is the place where healing begins. That's a good word, right? I mean, that can preach. Uh, James Shaw Jr. saved lives. So I don't, I don't need to give my statement. I don't need to give, you know, I don't need to be hanging out in a hospital because my hands are all burned up from grabbing an assault rifle that just had a bunch of rounds pumped through it. I'm going to church. I'm going to get encouraged from the people around me. Shaw knew what we need to know, which is the scope of your life is going to be determined by the substance of your days. And the biggest substance you can put in your days is who is in your life. What is in your life? It's my contention that you got to have Jesus Christ in your life. It's my contention you got to have some good Christian people in your life. And it's my contention that church is a great place to meet all of those people to develop a life that you want. We started this church to be that type of place. A place that's ferociously committed to the Word of God and equally committed to you discovering why God has you in this time, on this planet, in this period, at this location, so that we can change the world together because that's what God's asked us to do. It's called the Great Commission. And so we want to help you figure that out. That's the whole purpose of why we do church, to encounter Jesus. Because I believe one second in the presence of God can radically change your life. And so every week, I want to try and figure out, God, how can we help people encounter you today? I don't want you leave and say, oh, the music was great. The pastor was funny. You know, praise God, he, was, he has cool shoes. Like, I, I, I mean, I don't want, I mean, that would be nice, but I don't want, I want you to say, God was there. I encountered something that was so much bigger than, than I could ever have imagined. Something different. And that different is the power of the Holy Spirit in every single one of you being the encouragement to people. That's why I say that the greatest day of your life is the day you were born. The second greatest day of your life is figuring out why you were born. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. I want to help you discover that. I want to help you figure out why God has you on the planet, why he put you in the care of the elders and leadership at this church in order for you to grow and follow Christ more closely. It's the whole point of everything we do on a Sunday. So as we close, I've got some homework I want you to do. One of the activities that I want you to do this week, it's there in your notes. If you need some more notes, grab some on your way out or just find a piece of paper, get a notebook, get a journal. I want you to record your good habits, your bad habits, and your missing habits. Good habits, bad habits, missing habits. Well, pastor, how do I know if I have a missing habit? Well, where are you trying to go? 
What destination do you want to achieve? Who are you in five years? And it's likely you haven't got those habits established or you'd be there, right? And so there's some habits missing. And so you need to figure out what those habits are and and what's the destination you want to get. Do you want to be a better parent? Well, there's some habits that you can develop in order to be a better parent. Do you want to have a better job? Do you want to get paid more? Do you want to be financially free? Do you want to get better grades? I mean, whatever it is, I know you must not be doing it or you'll already be there. So something is missing. You've got to figure out what those are. I also know that there must be some bad habits or again, you wouldn't be at your destination because your habits are either sanctifying you or sabotaging you. Some of them are sabotaging you and taking you away from your purpose. And so you need to figure out what your bad habits are. Now, why do I want you to write them down? Because Virginia Tech did a study that showed you're over 900% more likely to achieve a goal when you write it down. 900%. They also found that if you told somebody what you wrote down, you're over 1,000% more likely to achieve the goal. That's why I want you to be in a small group. That's why I want you to be encouraged. That's why I want you to tell somebody, if you're not in a small group, what you wrote down. Because you're over 1,000 times more likely to achieve whatever it is that you're missing or is a bad habit, you can kick it. You can start something new. If you'll tell somebody, you'll write it down. It's crazy. So develop these relationships that you can uh, tell people about your bad habits. Confess your sins to one another so you can be healed, the Bible says. Got to have these people in your life. But if you get nothing else, I say you have to get this. If you want a better outcome... In whatever it is you're trying to accomplish, if you want a better outcome, then you've got to develop a different habit. Your habits are going to lead you to your outcome. And the most important habit you need to create right now is following Jesus. If you can figure out how to habitually take one step closer to Jesus, then you'll never go off course. So listen, in the coming weeks, I'm going to give you some other habits that can help get you closer to Jesus. But habit one is committing your life to Christ, committing your life to saying, I'm going to follow Jesus wherever he takes me. I'm going to do whatever he wants to do. But uh, the second thing is if you already have developed that as a habit, you need to figure out what's missing Um, and and get people into your life that can help you figure it out. Because you've got to hear me. At some point, I'm going to let you down. At some point, this church will probably let you down. We didn't meet a need that you had at the time you felt like you had it. But if you can have the people in your life that can help you walk through these difficult seasons of life, you'll never feel that way. And it'll get you closer to Jesus. Ephesians 3 tells us God can do immeasurably more than you even think or imagine. Like God said that for your life. That imagining you in five years, God says, no, I've got something even more amazing than what you can imagine. Come on, somebody. It's great news. God's got something good for you. But you've got to start following Him. And you've got to have people that can help lead you to Him every single day. Amen? Amen. We close this in prayer. God, we are so thankful for You. We know we got to get our habits right. So I'm just praying right now that You speak to us in a powerful way. That we develop the habits 
that are good that you've called us to. That we can figure out what bad habits are taking us away from you. They might not even be bad things, God. They're just drawing us away from you. They're diluting our focus. Help us figure out what those are. God, help us figure out what missing habits are in our life. Teach us to follow you more closely. God, I just believe that there are some people here this morning whose missing habit is following you. That they've never trusted their life to you. If that's you this morning, you're ready to make a habit of following Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I'm going to ask you to follow in a prayer with me, not because there's magic in the prayer, but because God said that if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. And so I would just invite you to, to pray with me and say, God, I believe in your son Jesus. I believe I've made decisions in life that have led me away from you. I know that's sin. And I'm sorry. Forgive me. I know Jesus died for me. I know He rose from the dead. And because of that, I'm made new. Thank you for saving me. Help me develop these habits to draw closer to you. God, I thank you for new life. I thank you for the opportunity just to come and gather in this place. I thank you for the encouragement that you can provide through each one of your people. Help encourage them now to figure out how they can be an encouragement to each other. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen.